and ready to go here? It will be in just a second. Yeah, I want to talk about healing and healing in a very specific way. I want to talk about healing of the masculine wound. And as I go, you will understand more about what I'm saying. Uh, but it's a very, very important message and something that it's, it's something of a life message for me as well. So let's pray before we go any further. Father, I just thank you for the worship this morning and for uh, the heart behind the worship, for the spirit of worship. I thank you for those that... Uh, have come to pray early this morning and to intercede on behalf of this ministry. I thank you for each one who's here right now. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, uh, you would do that work that only you can do. Uh, every single person is going to receive this in a little different way, and it's because of you. That you're going to take it and you're going to minister and you're going to apply it in ways that are particular to each person because you love us and because you care about us. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you heard uh, about the <clears throat> little girl. Her father had been uh, doing devotions with her, and he was uh, reading to her out of Psalm 103, where it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who love him. He is mindful of their frame. He knows that they are but dust. Well, she was only eight years old. And so that phrase, she, she was kind of quizzically looking at her dad. And, and she, she, he heard her say, but dust, but dust. And then she said to him, Daddy, what's but dust? We're going to look at Psalm 103 today. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole scripture, specifically in the Old Testament. It would be one of my go-to passages, gone, gone to it many, many times. Because in Psalm 103, we're going to actually see 10 characteristics. It's one of the, it's one of the passages that has a very concentrated look at what God is actually like. We want to know what God is like, Right? We want to know what our God is like. And the amazing thing of it is, is that what we're going to read and what we're going to learn about our God is he's unlike any other God on earth. The gods of the earth are not at all like our God. You're going to see just even as we read, you're going to see the personal nature of our God with us and how he relates to us. And that's one of the reasons why I love this passage so, so much. Starting in verse 8, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 103, verse 8. Or if you're using your phone or whatever means you're using. And look at what it says. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, and, and filled with unfailing love. That's God, right there. Boom. Our God. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. Doesn't hold grudges. He does not punish us as our sins deserve for all our sins. Or as they deserve, as another translation would say. Can anybody say amen this morning? <laughs> does anybody want to jump in on this one? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. 
He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. And then it goes on to say, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the heights of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Again, can anybody say amen? (laughs) Does anybody need that to happen? Yeah? Hello? I'm not thinking just anybody needs it to happen. I think everybody here needs it to happen as a reason to actually shout hallelujah. (laughs) Because they're gone. That's a liberating message. Because every one of us, if they're not gone, if any of them remain, you and I are butt dust. (laughs) I want to focus in on one characteristic of this passage, and it comes in the next verse. And it is the verse that I've just referred to. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. That's the Lord. He's mindful of our frame, and he does know that we are but dust. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to focus on this concept of, of the Father. And I want to highlight for you the fact that King David here is the human instrument. We know that God actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he moved upon human instruments. And they wrote as he led them to write using their own vocabularies, using their own intellects. But the Holy Spirit was upon them. And David actually brings us revelation that we do not find in the Old Testament. What is that revelation? Well, as you see the word like, there are two words that uh, help denote to us that a comparison is coming. The word like and as denote this comparison. The, The figure of speech is it is a simile. So David offers up to us something that you do not see much in the Old Testament. He offers up to us that God in heaven who seemed to the people, the Jewish people, to be somewhat distant and somewhat out there, David says, hey, you want to know what he's like? By revelation of the Holy Spirit, he is tender and compassionate like a father. Now, is there any God like that that you know of on the earth? The God of Islam is not like that. The the billion gods of the Hindus are not like that. The God of the Sikhs is not like that. You just go on and on. Our God is a personal father. Now, was David right to actually bring, to to make this comparison? Was, Was that the right thing to do? Because again, as I say, it hadn't happened much at all in the Old Testament to, to talk of God like he was a father. Well, how would we know if, if he was right? We'd go to the expert. Do you know of any expert on the issue of the fatherhood of God? There's only one. It's the son. 
Jesus was actually asked by his disciples, his disciples wanting to learn how to pray more effectively and more accurately came to him and they said, will you teach us how to pray? How would we address God? Do you know that there's, there's, there, there's a name for God in the Old Testament, Yahweh? You may or may not know. I mean, we, see, we, we have songs with Yahweh in it. We're familiar with Yahweh, but, but the word, the name Yahweh was considered by the Jews so sacred that they couldn't actually speak it. They couldn't speak it out. And Jesus said this about the Father. He said, when you talk to the Father, when you, address, when, you, when you address God, you talk to him, you talk to him, and you call him Father. You call him Father, our Father, who lives in heaven. And that's where we get, you and I have gotten this concept of the fact that we have a heavenly Father, Right? Jesus used only one word to describe. Could you, could you describe yourself or anybody you know with one word? I, I, I don't know if you could. I don't know if it's possible. Jesus described the Father with one word and only one word. He said, holy is his name. So you have a God in heaven, he's your father, and all you need to know about him is this, he's holy. By holy meaning he's true, he's right, he's righteous, he's pure, he's authentic, he's the real deal. He cannot lie, he cannot cheat, he cannot, he's holy. This is the father you're addressing, amen? The problem that we face a little bit as New Testament believers is that I haven't shared with anything, I haven't shared anything with you this morning that isn't, that's new. You're going like, hey, duh. Like we've been praying to the Father our whole lives that we've known Christ. Like this is nothing new, right? No, so the Old Testament was like that. So they related like that. We don't relate like that. Okay, so here's the question. To what degree this morning are you New Testament believers who call him father? To what degree are you living your life right now as though you genuinely have a father who's in heaven and he cares about every intimate detail of your life? To what degree is that true? All you have to do is stop and ask how you live and how you behave. (laughs) Because if you know you have a father who's intimately aware of you and cares about everything about you down to the nitty gritty, the hairs on your head and the tears you cry, it impacts your life. Because you know, if he's that personal, he not only cares, but he's with you. And even though the world seems like it's out of control, he's perfectly in control. Perfectly in control. 
You can't know every day of your life, every breath you're going to breathe, and the day you're going to die and not be in control. (laughs) Does that make sense? (laughs) Now, the challenge that this metaphor creates, can you see the challenge that it creates? And that's part of the reason why I, I, I would even ask, was King David right to, to compare the father in heaven with an earthly father? Well, of course he was right because Jesus said he was right. It's the right thing to do. But can you see the inherent complication in that comparison and analogy? What is it? What it is, is the fact that you have never met a perfect earthly father. They do not exist. And even if you had a good dad, even if you had a great dad, he was not a perfect dad. You see where I'm going with this? And so the reality is, is that every single one of us who are here today have encountered a masculine wound. The question is whether or not we've dealt with it. Some of us have a masculine wound and and likely several wounds that we might not even be aware of the fact that we have. And yet the wound manifests itself in our daily behavior. Does that make any sense to you? Wounds in our spirit have to be dealt with. I love being a father. Cynthia and I raised uh, three sons together. She was an amazing mom. I loved being a dad. I absolutely loved it. I totally embraced it from day one to to the end. I'm still a dad. I'm still their father. But I want to tell you, as hard as I worked at being a dad, I wounded my sons. I've wounded my wife. I'm not a perfect man. And even though I'm a pastor, that doesn't doesn't make me exempt. I still have to walk and live in the grace of God as well. Amen? Here's the challenge, friends. Is the biggest factor that affects your ability and my ability to relate, relate to God as our heavenly father has to do with our relationship or the relationship we've had with our earthly dad. For some of us to think about our, and this is not intended whatsoever to be a beat down on dads. Listen, there's also a feminine wound, but that's not what I'm talking about today. There's no beat down on any of the men in this room. I love men. I love dads. I love fathers. I love being one. But it comes back to us recognizing who we are and and what we've faced the relationship you've had with your dad will have either enhanced your ability to be intimate with your heavenly father and open to him, or it will have blocked it. The truth, the truth were known, some of us who are here today have had dads who damaged us very deeply by things they did to us or said to us. Some of our dads were, were them, all of our dads Not some of them. All of our dads were imperfect, broken human beings. We have to recognize that. Some of our dads passed down to us what they had received, and that was criticism, harshness, pointing out what was wrong, 
being hard on us, never blessing us in that sense, and that created deep damage in our hearts. Others of us suffer from what I call a father love deficit, a lack or a shortfall of masculine love. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, some of us had our fathers taken from us at an early age. Some of our fathers left us at at an early age. They abandoned us. Both of those leave an emptiness, leave a wound or a brokenness, right? Others of us had fathers who were present who weren't there. That creates a wound. Fathers who never left, who weren't taken, but just never were attentive or intentional in our lives. And the role of father is so significant, isn't it? And every one of us have experienced that. Some of us right now, as fathers, we're thinking about our own lives. Men, let me put you, let me put you at peace and release. You weren't perfect and you're not perfect. And yet the grace of God is here for us all. In healing. Here's the good news this morning. Your story is not finished. Amen? Your story's not done. I don't care how old you are. Jenny, your story's not done. 91 years old. We sing about a good, good, good father. We sing about a father who is the way maker, the promise keeper, the miracle worker. Amen? That's the father we're in relationship with. You have a story, and if you'd allow me, I'd like to testify a little. Could I testify a little? Would that be all right? I'd like to testify a little. You know, because here's the deal. I once was young. I'm now old. (laughs) According to who? It does have a little bit of uh, perspective, doesn't it? I once was old, and I talked about my father in heaven when I was younger. When I was younger, excuse me. Now I'm older, 65 years old. I have seen the goodness of God. All my life, he has been faithful. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't testify when you're young. You should. But it's just a little different when you've lived some life. And you can actually say it with certainty. Okay? I've already said there are no perfect dads. And the good news is that God isn't finished with us. All of our stories moving into masculinity have to start with one person. And that's our dad. Our earthly dad. Mine starts with this guy. Robert Henry Cavanaugh, he was a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Naval Forces. He flew planes. And uh, he actually, after he retired, he went to work for the forestry here in Washington State. This is the, uh, the airstrip that he flew off of in Winthrop, Washington, 1958. It would be the last time that he would fly. This is a picture of the crash that, that happened on that very day in 1958. All four men were killed on the plane. Ironically, 
as we're here today. My brother and sister and I have come together to make our first pilgrimage together to that crash site. That's why they're here. So the the culmination of this message is a little interesting for me or how it, it all comes together. There's, there's, we all go through strange phases. If you've ever had a strange phase in life, it looks, I don't know if there was something wrong with that picture or if my head was really that big. <laughs> I don't know. Now, I put grade four because I often preach and preach this message last in Canada. It's fourth grade here. I was in fourth grade, which is 10 years old. When I recall my brother, sister, and I sitting at a table in our home and our stepfather, our mother remarried, our stepfather stood up and, he, and they had, were having an argument. He stood up and he told us he was leaving and never coming back and that's exactly what happened. So I had lost my first father. We had lost our first father and then we lost our second father who, let, who, who ran off with our uncle's wife and devastated both families. So grade four, little heart. Not everybody can see inside that little heart, okay? Which takes me to this guy. (laughs) Now, this picture, this is the only picture I have. I, I have very few pictures of my growing up years, almost none. Somehow I spilled something on this picture. I don't have fungus. This is not a fungus that is growing on it. But it's appropriate because that fits who this Southern California kid was, okay? So when I was 11 years old, so going back to, so, so 12, actually 12, go back to this guy, give him two years, 12 years old. Riding to work one day, my mother was giving me a ride. I had a job. I was a dishwasher at the age of 12. I looked at her and I said, just letting you know that I'm going to be smoking at home from now on. 12 years old. Sixth grade. Try to imagine that. Only add to it the fact that I was as severe asthmatic as a child. And imagine yourself not coming completely unglued. I try to think of if one of our three sons would have said that, what I would have done to them. I don't know if they'd be alive today. (laughs) Twelve years old was when I smoked my first marijuana joint. By the age of 13, I was drinking beer regularly. I had overdosed, come very close to overdosing on depressants, eighth grade. I had begun to view pornography. I had a very foul mouth. I was violent and I was abusive. And though this guy might not exactly look all that to you, that's who this was. Now here's the irony. It was a grade 11, 17 years old. I'm actually only five years from becoming a father. Imagine that. Imagine that guy becoming a father. And imagine the pain 
and the hurt and the wreck that that guy would have brought. But the story didn't end there. (laughs) Because there's a person called Jesus. And Jesus began to intervene in my life. And one night when I was trying to run from Jesus, because I was. Now, I want you to get a good look at that picture, because I want you to think about people who you know that kind of look or fit that picture, whom you would think are far from God. They'd never open up to God. They'd never have anything to do with God. I want you to think about those kids, male and female. They are doing everything that tells you that they don't want to have anything to do with God. I want you to, I want you to see that person. Because on a Saturday night, the, the uh, May 12, 1974, I wasn't at a church. I was at a party in Indian Wells, California. I had gone to a party to drink, to smoke, to swear, to chase, and do all that kind of stuff. And while I was at that party doing what teenagers do at parties, something really unusual happened, something that I would never have expected to happen. I sense that the Holy Spirit of God, now when I say that, it sounds like I'm confident that I knew what was going on. I only know going back now that it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit began to speak to me, not in an audible way, but in a way that I knew in my heart that this was God. He began to actually talk to me. The conversation went something like this. This whole scene here, is phony. Everybody's trying to do stuff and say stuff and act in ways to impress and he's chasing her and they're chasing that and then I sense that the Lord said, who's the biggest phony here? That was an easy answer. It was me. After everybody left, my two very best high school friends and I were sitting at his kitchen table somewhere 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. We're not talking about cars. We're not talking about girls. We're not talking about sports, although all three of those things were very important to us. We were talking about Jesus Christ. There was no pastor there. There was no adult there. There was no religious person there. These guys didn't even go to church, and we're talking about Jesus And I looked at the two of those guys, my best friends, and I said to them, I I pushed away from the table and I said to them, I do not know about you, but my life is going nowhere and tonight I'm going to give it to Jesus Christ. I walked into the holy sanctuary of that house, which was the bathroom. It had become a holy sanctuary. Why? Because I was going to invoke the presence of God and ask for forgiveness. It became a holy room. I walked in the bathroom. I looked towards heaven. I said, Lord Jesus, no one needs to tell me what a bad guy I am. I get what a bad guy I am. I'm wondering, I'm asking if you'd forgive me. If you'll forgive me of my sins, the best that I know right here, right now, I'm going to give my life to you, every bit of it. And you know what happened, friends? 
in that instance, there were no angels, there were no thunder, there was no lightning, but in that, that very instance, right that moment, I had become born again. Now, everything in my life had changed and nothing had changed. Does that make sense to you? Here's the deal. You and I get born again, everything has changed. If anyone is in Christ, he's become a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. That is true. And yet to look at me, you would have not known that anything changed. Right? Because when we begin, it's a mustard seed. It's the tiniest seed of all the garden plants when it's planted. But once it begins to grow, it becomes a tree. And the birds of the air are able to nest in its branches. That describes some of the journey. Now, what I've just described to you, what I've just shared with you, is what many refer to, well, Before I grab that, I'll give you this guy. That is one of the three guys that was at the table. I had not not met with him or talked with him since that night. And just about five years ago, six years ago, I found him. We sat down. I said, Jeff, do you remember what happened that night? He said, Kevin, I sure do. I mean, I didn't know what he would remember, what he would think. He said, that was the night you gave your life to Jesus Christ. He's still not a believer. Pray for Jeff. What I described to you is what we call the great exchange. His life for your life. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The great exchange is that you take your life And you actually give it to him and you receive his life. That is the great exchange. You might not be able to relate to this guy right here. Because outwardly you haven't been that kind of person in your life. But I want to tell you inwardly you had the same issues in different ways. Because sin is sin. What did I have to offer Jesus? Did did he get anything? What did he get? This lying, thieving, stealing, smoking, drinking, cussing, filthy shell of a human being. That's what he got. What did I get? I got everything. Because the exchange comes with promises. And here's one of my favorites. See, Jesus promised me this. Not only did he promise me this, he promised you this. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one, no one, this is all inclusive, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel, no one who's made this exchange, no one who's surrendered their lives to me will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. I want you to note that in this present age, not when you get to heaven. Right here, right now. Homes, brothers, mothers, sisters, children, and fields. Along with persecutions, yes. 
along with difficulties, along with challenges, along with trials, and in the age to come, eternal life. Well, let me testify a minute. I've already told you I lost two fathers before I was a Christian. Jesus promised a hundredfold, didn't he? This was my first father. This is the man who led me to Jesus. This is the man who said to me that as many as received him, speaking of Jesus to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to them who believe in his name. He said, Kevin, Jesus came to have a relationship with you. When I was as far from God as I had ever been, he said, God demonstrates his love to you, Kevin, in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, not in a good estate, but at your worst. Boy, if he could take me at my worst, then he could deal with everything else, couldn't he? One father, what does that make mathematically? If you have zero and you add one, what's the increase? 100. 100-fold, but, but that didn't stop there. So Jack took me and he introduced me to Roy and Alta. He said, these are the people who led me to Jesus. Those two people, Roy and Alta Davis, became my mother and father. Now I have a mother, spiritually, and I have two fathers. These people were with me all the way to the end of their life. Guess how many children they had? 55. 55. Now, some of you are going, we've known that some pastors can exaggerate a little bit. (laughs) And this is sounding like a bit of an exaggeration. I mean, if she had 55 kids, not sure she'd look like that, right? They had 55 foster children. They took in 55 kids, mostly young men, like me, who were dealing with deep father wounds and issues. They loved me so much that they even made me a part of their will. Absolutely amazing. This is my third father. Now we're at 300-fold. When my wife and I came to Seattle, I was 24 years old. He gave me this man, Jan Hedinga, who happened to be the pastor of North Shore Baptist Church in Bothell, where we served together, ended up serving together for 16 years. He's still in my life. We actually are going to be meeting in a few weeks. We meet two or three times a year. He's been a father to me the whole way. And then when we were called to Canada... God gave me my fourth father. This man was the founding family of the church that I went to serve. They invited me to live with them. They made me a part of their family, made us a part of their family. And God gave me 400-fold. Amen? Here's a crazy thing. That kid you saw, 17 years old, who had a wreck of a life, who was going to be a wreck of a person, who was going to bring havoc and heartache and heartbreak everywhere he went, This is me speaking in 2009 before a crowd of some 8 to 10,000 people at GM Place. How does that happen? How does that happen apart from the miracle hand of God on a person's life? He promised me brothers and sisters. He's given me brothers and sisters from all around the world. This is the, the church I served had 55 nationalities in Canada. People from all around the globe. 
And he's given me brothers and sisters here. It never stops. There are thousands. But he gave us three sons. And those three sons, God used to actually minister back into my heart and into my life. And now this isn't even them now. As he's taken the brokenness of my life and our lives, and he actually has sown his spirit into them. Oh, you say, where are the daughters, though? His sons and daughters. I mean, where are they? Well, he gave me three of them. That's our tribe. Those are our three beautiful daughter-in-laws and our eight grandchildren And that picture was just taken two weeks ago. And on that family outing, our oldest grandson had been asking for months if he could get baptized. He's 12 years old. He wanted to be baptized in front of his family. And that's him. (laughs) God's promises fulfilled. As we wind down this morning... I want to let you know that at the age of 38, because that's how old I was when I thought that I was 38, I'd been told all my life that my father, our father, had died at 38. For some reason, the closer I got to 38, the more I needed to know him, know about him, who he was, what he did. You see, I was only 16 months old when he died. And so I went, I actually found finally found where he was at. He was at the Golden Gate Bridge in the National Cemetery, stood over his grave. When I stood over his grave, God revealed to me that he had healed the wound. That he had healed the wound, right? Quickly, we're going to jump here. Five steps, not going to be long, going to be less than five minutes on how to heal the masculine wound in your own life. Make sure that your picture you have of your heavenly father is accurate. And the only way to do that, friends, is to actually use the word of God. Psalm 103 is one of the great pictures. Come back to what God is like and how that might be different than the father that you had or have. Second, talk, to your, talk about your own journey with trusted mentors and friends. You can't talk to everybody about the wounds, okay? But trusted mentors and friends, and here's the scripture right there. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The fact is, when we speak out our pain, that is part of the process that God uses to bring about the healing. Number three, you got to speak out and act out your forgiveness. This is the hardest part. This is really the hardest part. And yet it's imperative. Some of the wounds are so deep you don't even know that you have them. They've been there, you've been so used to living with them that you just keep going on. But it manifests in your behavior. Listen, I want to tell you if you're angry, if you act out in anger a lot, if you're critical, if you're harsh, if you treat people roughly, friends, and this is a hard one, if you're perfectionistic, I don't say this with any condemnation. These are just things that can happen to us. 
If the perfectionism goes to where it harms other people, it's not good. And it could likely be tied back into the fact that you're still trying to prove to somebody that you're okay. And that's why the scripture says, for if you forgive others, other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, this is conditional. And it is very important. You will not be forgiven. Here's the deal. Why is Jesus so hard on this? Because if you're unforgiving, you live in a cage of unforgiveness. Jesus makes it a commandment because that's the only way he can get you out. If you do not obey him, you will stay there. That's the last thing he wants. Fourth, give thanks for your earthly father, no matter who he was, no matter how it is, by faith. I'm thanking you, God. And then finally, Claim your spiritual dad. Claim your spiritual mom. If you haven't got one, this promise wasn't for me. This promise isn't for pastors, for missionaries, Bible teachers, worship leaders. It's for everyone. Amen? That's what God wants for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we look at your word, we can attest to the fact, no, our lives haven't been easy That's not what we're saying. No, our lives haven't been free of any trouble, no. But all our lives you have been faithful. And all our lives you have been oh so good. And even though we've faced some really difficult times, and some of my brothers and sisters have had some really challenging things happen with their fathers, with their husbands, with their brothers... I'm asking right now, friend, if if I've been speaking as I've been speaking, you've been finding some emotional turmoil. You may be even finding yourself arguing with me as I'm speaking. You may be finding yourself upset with me. Those are helpful indicators that you need healing still. And how I want to just offer that to you now. In Jesus' name. Can you actually pray and say, Lord, I forgive. Name the person. If it's your dad, if it's your father, if it's your brother, if it's your husband, I forgive. By faith, I forgive. And I'm trusting you. Help me to forgive, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, I just pray as, as that prayer gets released right now, as that prayer gets said, I'm, I'm asking that that healing power right now would be released onto the hearts and spirits of my brothers and sisters and that it would act as a healing salve that would p- penetrate into that wound, Lord. For some of you, that could happen instantaneously. Others, it'll take days, weeks, months, even beyond that as you pursue this healing. And if any of you would like me to pray with you over any aspect of what I've been sharing with, I'll stay here until the last person's prayed for. I'll just be up here after the service and I welcome you to come and pray with me.
just want to quickly ask, I know we're going a little late here, but if you can bear with me for just a moment. You might have come here today and not know Jesus. He brought you here because he wanted you here, or you could have been here a long time, and for whatever reason, you haven't received the Savior. I'm going to give you the opportunity quickly to pray with me that same prayer that I prayed. You prayed in your heart. You don't have to speak it out loud, but just join me now. Lord, say, Lord Jesus, in your heart, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Make me your child. Say it. Forgive me my sins. Make me your child. The best I know how, I'm giving myself to you right now. If you're praying that with me, I'm I'm just going to ask you, raise your hand wherever you are. Would you raise it up? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Don't be bashful. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Lord Jesus. Father, for these dear brothers and sisters who are receiving you right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with every good gift that you have. In Jesus' name, amen.